Thanks, you guys. Isn't it awesome? I love our church. I can't believe that we have a worship team and a staff team and a leadership team. I know, look at everyone who, uh, who like is working it out and loves God. And I, and I get that I'm like feeling a little extra ooey gooey about it because I, I was gone last week. I, our denomination has a pastor's conference, so we were in Denver. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience with people where you have like the way in which you see yourself engaging the world, and then you have the way in which people seem to engage you, and sometimes they don't really match. And uh, so I'm at this pastor's conference in Denver, and no joke, I felt like everyone I walked in front of, everyone I came to who I saw was like, Ben, what's up? And they would grab me and they would bear hug me and like break my ribs. I'm like, whoa, yay, man, good to see you too. And I'd be like, some other group of guys would, Ben, what's up? And they would gather me and they would squeeze me so hard I couldn't even breathe. Like, let's go eat steaks and have some beers. And I'm like, am I presenting? Like, what am I doing? Like, like, is it the flannel? Like, I get out of this, these, you know, grizzled face and these masculine features, but I mean, come on now, you know? And, um, and so I was trying to think, what is up with that? And so I don't know how I'm presenting to you, but I wanted to give you just a little, a little behind the curtain, okay? I know I present that way. I know you want to punch me in the arm, but like, okay, for this sermon, for this time, you're going to get a little of my squishy, okay? You may not know about this about me, but I, I love romance films. Anyone love romance films? I mean, I can pour a glass of wine and have some popcorn and watch a rom-com like the best of us. You know what I'm saying? So I want to know from you, what are some of your favorite romance movies? What are they? Hallmark, baby. Yeah, anything on Hallmark. What else? Nikki Blue Eyes. The Notebook. The Notebook. Anything else? The Princess Bride. Some, do some dirty dancing. Whew, I don't know if we can talk about that in church, but all right. So... Well, the truth is, I, I'm a big fan of The Notebook. It's like the number one uh, romance movie of all time. Um, I mean, who does not want to just make out in the rain all day? I'm like, oh, this is it. This is the, the peak of romance. It's the peak of how God made us. And I just think this is it. Now, this movie came out 15 years ago. And I'm thinking back, like 15 years ago, I was a much different man. I was a little less in touch with my squishy side. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I still like making out in the rain all day. That's like, I get that part. But um, if, you, if, you're fr- if you see The Notebook, if you haven't seen The Notebook, shame on you, but there's going to be some spoilers here, okay? So at the end of The Notebook, this whole time, there's this incredible romance that's happening. You know, there's zigs and zags. You don't know how it's going to work out. And, and, and the way it's happening is there's this old couple, and they're sitting, and, and he's reading this story to, to, to this lady. And, it's, and you know, and, and, and it's beautiful, and it's great. And, and you know, and you're, and, but you're like, get back to the people making out in the rain. And, um, and the, 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 it's going on and on and on. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. But this is how I knew I wasn't quite the man that I am now. Because when the movie's over, the, the big reveal is that the lady, right, she, she has dementia or Alzheimer's. And so she doesn't know that that's actually her story that that's them who are madly in love, who used to make out in the rain. And, um, and, and, and what happens is every day he would go and he'd visit his wife who has dementia and Alzheimer's and he would tell her the story, causing her to fall back in love. And it's this beautiful story. And, and I'm like, and when, when the big reveal happened, I'm like, oh my gosh, come on. And I look over at Katie, right? Who's just like, oh, I can't believe it. Someday will you love me like that? And I'm like, I don't even get this movie now. But I am, um, but you know, I'm, I'm maturing and I'm growing a little bit. And it is interesting when you think of like, of when, when you think of love, especially as a younger person for me, I get the making out in the rain part. But th- this part of doing 60 years of being connected to somebody, right? And there is the making out in the rain part, but then there's like 
other tragedies and joys. There's all sorts of life that you walk through with all sorts of highs and lows. And, and, and the depth of love, the depth of intimacy is actually proven over 60 years where now he wants to read the story to his wife, right? Making out in the rain, like every middle schooler is like, I got that part down. I got that. But, but that is truly what God made us to be. And I, and I love that picture because we're talking about this idea of, 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 our, of our vision statement, to engage the spiritually hungry towards life in Christ that's inspired, intelligent, and, and involved. And when I think of inspired, I often think of like those spiritual moments, the spiritual highs, the, the spiritual version of whatever that means, making out in the rain. Like that's, what the, I want, that's the kind of walk with God we want. And there is parts of that in our walk with God, but there is this deeper part of what inspired means that is this lifelong daily, heartfelt devotion towards Christ. Now, you may not know this if you're new, if you're new or newer to our church. We're Marin Covenant Church, and we're part of this denominational family called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And it's not evangelical like in the 1990s political version of the word evangelical. It, it, that term came in the late 1800s out of this new, uh, this new movement. Uh, it was a pietistic movement of these Swedish immigrants in this Lutheran church. And the church that they started in was very intellectual, very um, legalistic. And there was these group of Christians that had gathered and they, they called themselves pietists. And they said, listen, we want to study scripture. Like we, we believe that knowing scripture is really important and we want to be involved in the world. And we want to like live righteous lives. But the core of what makes us followers of Christ, the core of who we are to be in Christ is the idea that we have this heartfelt devotion to God. That is the core of who we are. And so as we're thinking about what it means to engage with the spiritually hungry towards a life in Christ, this morning we're going to take a look at what does it mean, a life in Christ that is inspired. The way in which we engage our faith, the way in which we engage the world, the way in which we engage one another is rooted in this idea that we're inspired. There's this passage in Galatians, which is like, this is like the hallmark verse for, for good pietists, and you should learn it. It says this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And because it's pretty rare that we don't, and we don't like talk about circumcision every week, but maybe we should, because then you would get how radical this passage is. This is Paul writing a letter to the Galatians, who was this Jewish group of Christians, and they were trying to figure out how do these Jewish group of Christians um, do life with these Gentiles who are becoming Christians. And they decided, listen, um, in, the, in the Council of Jerusalem, they said, listen, you don't have to be circumcised. All the Gentile Christians were like, yes, praise God. And, uh, and all the Jewish Christians were like, you don't understand. As a good Jewish person, all the way back, I mean, you're using all of Scripture, and the argument in Scripture is that circumcision was the thing that marked that you were a son of the covenant. It wasn't just a cultural thing. It was the core marker. Jewish people throughout all of history would die because of that marker. It wasn't just a thing. And now to say these Gentile Christians can just be in? I mean, it is mind-blowing. And Paul's like, listen, those things— the, the, the disputes that you have theologically, the disputes that you have in your convictions about your lifestyle and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, all those things, they actually don't matter compared to faith expressing itself in love. And so when we think we want to be people who love God, who are moving towards Christ, this love of God is this deep, heartfelt devotion. It's faith expressing itself in love. 
Think how radical we would be. I mean, all of us, let's be honest, Christians get such a bad rap because we're judgmental and hypocritical and all the other things. But let's be honest, everyone that you go to work with are all those things. They're just as judgmental and they're just as hypocritical. Everyone, because we're human beings, we all want to be right. We so want to be right. We engage in political dialogues and theological discussions trying to prove that we're right. We, we figure out who, where each other fits based on our race and gender and ethnicity and sexuality. We go, okay, that's all you are and who I am. And then we just gird up around each other. I mean, we just gird up and we say, that's you, this is me. But humans are not like that. We're not a sum of all these data points. We're not a sum of all the intellectual things that we believe. We're human beings made in the image of God, made to be in a relationship with God. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And I'm pretty sure that you have friends or you're, you're in love with someone who is very different than you. They see the world differently than you. They engage scripture differently than you. They understand God differently than you. And yet you're fascinated by them. They're interesting, right? They're not just a bunch of data points that you're trying to agree on. They're a human being that you engage with and you want to know and understand, especially for older parents whose kids are on a totally different spiritual trajectory than you. It freaks you out. That's going to freak me out. What a different posture if we go, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. And so this morning, as we look at engaging with the spiritually hungry towards a life in Christ, of life that is inspired, this morning we're going to look at what does it mean to have an inspired faith? Not just a passionate faith, but a faith that is full of heartfelt devotion. So to get there, uh, I have four questions that I want to ask you. Excuse me, it makes me so nervous to talk about kissing like that. So I apologize. Okay. So the first question is this, and Jesus asked it. He asked it to Peter, but he might as well ask it to us. Do you love me? It's a hard and simple question. And it's funny because it's not really a framing question for most of us who are Christians, who have been Christians a long time. What do you think about this? Are you doing this? Are you living the right way? Are you getting your, your, your flesh under control? Like whatever, like we have all these things that we want to engage. But Jesus begins the whole conversation with, do you love me? And he asks this to Peter, right? Peter uh, denied him. And, uh, and then after the crucifixion, he goes out uh, fishing and he's like basically throws in the towel of this whole follower of Christ thing. Jesus, after the resurrection, goes and tracks him down, has breakfast with him, sits him knee to knee, eyeball to eyeball, and asks, do you love me? And I'm just going to, that's questions for Peter, but I do want to ask that for you because the, full, the core foundational principle to understand what it means to have a heartfelt, devoted, pietistic, inspired life in Christ is if how you answer that question, do you love Jesus? Now, we're going to take a look at this passage in scripture. It's in John chapter 14. And John chapter 14 is right in the middle of what's called the upper room discourse. John 13 to 17 is this kind of this, this interaction that Jesus has in the upper room. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, right, that was part of the upper room discourse. It begins with Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and then he has all of this conversation with his disciples. A lot of times we think of the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus' bread and butter. I mean, there's some incredible teaching about the kingdom of God. There's some really hard teaching. I mean, it is if you're like, I'm doing great in my walk with God. You read the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, okay, I'm not doing that well, right? I mean, it is like hard, hard stuff. But the upper room discourse is like the squishy of Jesus. It's where Jesus is with his disciples, his main guys. Everyone else has fled, right? It, the, the tensions are rising. The fear is rising. He's with his main guys and he's sitting, sitting down with them and he shares with them like his heart. This is, this, is, this is what I really want you to know. And this is what I really want you to understand. Begins with the foot washing, then communion, and then there's this, this conversation that happens. 
Well, Jesus says this to, to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commands. It's pretty simple. I always thought if I was scared of God, then I'll keep his commands. I don't want God to zap me. I want God, I want to go to heaven one day. I want to do the right thing. If I want to do the right thing, I, if I want God to like me, then I'll do his commands. But I love that foundational principle. If, if you love me, right, do you love me? If you say, yes, I love God. Well, then you'll obey my commands. And what's interesting is as human beings, we do this all the time. We are made to be in relationship with people. And when we like people, when we love people, we actually change to be like them on super, sur- super surfacey things. Like I love sushi. My wife hates sushi. So I don't take her to sushi for her birthday. I got it. We go to Italian food. But what's interesting, but there's actually a deeper thing. The way that God has formed Katie is really different than the way that God has formed me. I love to debate politics and theology. I'm competitive and I'm mean and I will always go for the win. And early on in our dating relationship, we were just young kids back then. We were 20. And uh, that was especially when I was going to master everything there was to know in theology. And so we're going back and forth and back and forth. And I don't even remember what the topic was, but I just know that it ended like this. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but the Bible that I read makes it pretty clear that I just won this argument. I was like, yes, I'm so awesome. And then when I was done celebrating, I look over, right? And Kay's like, like, I was like, oh my goodness, I broke something. Like, I'm so sorry. And I had to learn. Like, I have to learn. Like, there's a way in which I love Katie, so therefore there's a way in which I need to engage her, right? Blake, who plays drums, I love Blake. He loves hockey. I always put hockey and soccer in kind of the same thing. Like, I don't get it. Like, okay, whatever. But I love Blake. So I, I bought a Sharks, Sharks jersey. I watched the All-Star game last night. If you would ask me a year ago that I was ever going to watch the All-Star game for hockey, I'd be like, there's no way. But I actually enjoyed it. I chose it because I love Blake, right? So Jesus is saying, listen, if you love me, then you're going to obey my commands. It's not out of a fear thing. It's I love Jesus. I love who he is. And if I'm going to love him, then how am I going to not naturally want to be more and more like him? Right? When Jesus says, when Jesus is like, listen, I love and I'm for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. They're my people. I can't say I love Jesus, but I don't love what he's about. If I love Jesus, then I need to figure out how to love the things and people that he loves. Right? Jesus says, listen, if you, you need to pray for your enemies. I go, I hate my enemies. And you should hate my enemies. They're awful people. Jesus says, no, you pray for your enemies. Do you love me? Then you're going to obey my commands. You're going to pray for these people. I go, Jesus says, listen, if, if you want to be forgiven, then you too must forgive. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to take forgiveness all day. I love, I love it. I love it. But if I love Jesus, then I need to be in the posture of I'm going to then forgive as Jesus has forgiven me. And what I love about Jesus, he does not let us off the hook. In this, in this upper room discourse, I mean, think about this. Jesus kneels down and he washes his disciples' feet. He washes John's feet. Now, John, he, he knows that Jesus loves him. He knows he's the number one disciple. He writes the, the gospel according to John. And whenever he refers to himself, right, it's the, the apostle that Jesus loves. Like, he knows. He is in with Jesus. And if I was going to wash someone's feet, there's John's in my life. I will wash John's feet all day. But Jesus doesn't just wash John's feet. He washes Peter's feet, who's going to deny him, who's going to deny him to a servant girl in front of his face that he ever knew him. He's going to, he's going to wash you know, Thomas's feet, who's going to question who Jesus really is after giving his whole life to him over all these years. He's going to wash Judas's feet, the person who's going to actually betray him and cause him the most brutal and excruciating death of all time. 
So if I go, Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. Then he says, well, if you love me, then obey my commands. And if we're going to obey his commands, then we are called to love and to serve not those who are lovable, but the doubters and the deceivers and the betrayers and everybody in between. Do you love me? If so, you keep my commands. It goes on in verse, uh, verse 16 and says, if you love me, keep my commands. And he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Holy Spirit. I love it. If, it's not just that easy, right? Because we're humans and we're selfish and we're broken, so we're not going to get there on our own. And Jesus knows the only way that you're truly going to be able to do this, the only way you're going to truly be able to love me, the only way you're truly going to be able to love other people is to be connected and rooted to the Holy Spirit. In the very next chapter, in chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So if the first question is, do you love me? The second question is, are you willing to keep the love alive? Now, I want to be, I don't know if, you've, if you, uh, the person that you love or you, you're married to, um, every now and then Katie will have this conversation. This is how it works in our, in our life. Our kids are ruining our souls and we're, you know, we have to go to one more CYO bas- basketball game or we're going to kill ourselves. And just kidding, son, it's, we love it. But every now and then we'll look at each other and be like, are we just roommates? Like, like, are we just roommates? Like, I love you, you love me, but like, like, would we be making out in the rain right now if we were younger? And, and we're like, oh man, maybe not, because like, we're, like we kind of drifted a little bit. And I asked the first service, so I'm not going to ask in front of these guys, but I said, how do I keep the love alive? If you were going to be my marriage therapist, just give it to me. And it was pretty simple. Everyone had like the same thing, right? Uh, go on a date, travel together. And then one per- person's like, listen to her. So I know. So I'm working on it. So we know that, and I only bring that up because relate, we are relational people, right? So the way we relate to each other, the distance that we have with each other, we experience those same things in our walk with God. God longs for us to have an inspired relationship with him, a passionate relationship, a deep, intimate relationship with all the squishy. But we have to do the same things that we do in our relationships with, the, with each other, we have to do towards God. My grandma... Um, Growing up, she had this tree, and, uh, and I remember one summer I was up there, and, and the, the branch was cut off, and there was all this gross yellow gook all over it, and, uh, and I didn't really understand it. And then the next summer I came up, and there was a branch grafted on where that yellow goop was, and she now had a tree that had two different kinds of apples on it. I'm like, oh, that's pretty awesome. But what's interesting is a branch, its job is just to be there, connected to the root, and grow fruit. The gardener's job is to spend this time making sure it's cared for and it's grafted together and, it's, and it's, the, it's doing what it's supposed to do. The branch's job is just to stay connected. And really, spiritual formation, having an inspired walk with God, is just that simple. It is just saying, I am going to spend my effort and my energy being connected to Jesus. And you know what? It's Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is going to change you and shape you, and heal you, and transform you, and cause you to cuss a little less. That stuff happens, I've heard, you know? So I think it is so much better than going, this is what a good Christian is, and then put all of your energy and all of your effort into making sure you look just the right way. Because the truth is, if you're disciplined enough, at some point you will look the right way. 
but God longs to be intimately involved with us day in and day out for our entire lives. And it is God who will cause the fruit to grow in us. And that is good news that never changes. And so just like if I'm like, how do I keep the love alive with my wife? Right? I should probably go on a date. We should go on vacation. I should probably listen more, right? No brainer stuff, but I forget. In our walk with God, it's the same thing. Like, how do I stay connected to the vine? How do I stay connected to Jesus? And like my son who, who loves it, what are the three answers, Noah? Uh, see, he wasn't even paying attention. <laughs> Speaking my love language. My kid, just like yours, right? We, we were talking this conversation, he goes, Jesus, the Bible, and prayer, right? Always, like that's the Sunday school answer. But it's the Sunday school answer because that is totally how it works. If you want to stay connected to Jesus, right, you stay co- connected to scripture, you stay connected to one another, you stay connected to church, you stay connected in relationships. And, you, and mostly those things, they're not, they're not things you do to feel like you're a good person. They're things that you do that keep you connected to the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who comes in you and lives in you and causes fruit to grow. So will you keep the love alive? All right. Two more questions. The third question is this. Can you recover from heartbreak? And I think this is the, the, this is the hardest and realest question. Because in my mind, if I don't think about it too hard, yes, I love Jesus. And yes, um, I want to do the things to keep, my, to keep my love alive. But if we're honest, most of us have our hearts pretty wounded by God and by one another. Because we're relational beings, the same damage that happens in our walks with each other actually happens in our walk with God too. There's this friend of mine, his name's Steve. And, um, and we've been friends for a long time. I love him. He is a brilliant, thoughtful, deep Christian man. He's a pastor and he challenges my thinking. He challenges my theology. And we had this sort of friendship where we would just drive to work. Uh, when I'd be in traffic, I'd give him a call and he'd give me a call. And we had a great, deep friendship. But what's wild is, and he doesn't even know this really, but he wounded me. He said a couple things, uh, of course, not directed to me because he's a good Christian man, but you've probably been in situations like this where, you know, you see the way someone interacts or how they talk and somehow it just spilled over onto me and it wounded me. It like, it wounded me. But because I'm not totally in touch with my emotions, I didn't really recognize that until this last week, actually. I was in Denver at this pastor's conference. He gives me this big hug. Ben, oh, let's not stake. You know, because that's how everyone engaged me for some reason this year. He gave me this big hug, and I, had, like, I hugged him back. But in my mind, I don't know if, you're, if you've ever done experiences, people give you a big hug like your big aunt, and you just kind of stand like this. <laughs> like, in my heart, I was like, quit hugging me. And I realized I had closed the vault. That those things that I thought, they're not a big deal, they're not a big deal. I'm sure he didn't mean it. Not a big deal, didn't mean it. He's a good guy, I get it. It's probably okay. Benefit of doubt, benefit of doubt. What I really did is I closed the vault on him. And I said, you do not get my squishy anymore. Right? You don't get my inner being. You don't get that part of me because you're, you're too unsafe. And he probably didn't know because I tried to fake it pretty well because I'm dysfunctional that way. But, 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 but we do that. We, like, think of the people in your life who have hurt you, who have wronged you, and we just close the vault on them. And what's interesting is there's even a Bible verse. So if you want to be a good Christian, you can actually close the vault and feel like you're a good Christian. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. For those of us who have been really wounded by people along the way, Right? We are good Proverbs for Christians. It is a godly thing to protect my heart because those are good boundaries and I don't want people hurting me anymore. 
But what's wild is unintentionally living a Proverbs 4, 23 life saying, protect my heart, guard my heart at all costs, closing the vault on people. We are actually cutting off other people. We're cutting off them. We're cutting off God from actually engaging us, impacting us, inspiring us, and transforming us. Now, I think of it this way. This is a nice, beautiful tomato. It's organic, so it works here in Marin. I love tomatoes. I'm sure you do too. You slice them up. You put a little butter on them. If you ever put them on toast with a little mayonnaise and lemon uh, pepper, oh, super good. Um, but this is, a, this is a tomato. And I like it because it's red. It's like our heart. But it's also tender and delicate, right? We, wanna, we want our hearts to be whole and perfect. We, be, we want it to be fully intact. And when our heart is fully intact, we can give our hearts to one another. More importantly, we can give our hearts fully to God. God can have our way with us. But if we're honest, other people, right, they unintentionally or sometimes intentionally, right, they'll kind of wound us a little bit and we have like a little bit of a deformed heart. But if we turn our hearts this way, we go, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Don't look at this stuff, but I'm okay. More and more, people might hurt us and disappoint us. Before we know it, our heart is just a big mess like this. One of the things that hurts my heart the most about our church and coming to church is people say, your church is okay, but everyone there are such hypocrites and they're such fakers because you look so beautiful. Like right now I'm looking at you, you look so beautiful. And I know some of you and you have some messed up stuff going on, right? It's okay. <laughs> and the person who tells me this, like their life is a total mess, a, a total messed up right now. And, um, and I'm like, I see you. When you come to church, you have beautiful eye makeup on and like no one would ever guess that that's going on with you. So how in the world do you know that's going on with everybody else? Because we want to present like we're doing really well. But most of us have hearts that are just destroyed and are damaged. And the best we can do is fake it for a whole hour. And then we, we are Proverbs 4 people and say, you know what? I don't want that to ever happen again. I don't want people to get that, that close. And so we go Proverbs 4. Proverbs says to guard my heart. So I have green masking tape that I stole from children's ministry. And, and, oh yeah. There we go. And we're, we're protected. We can be in public. But the truth is, we're lying to ourselves. We think we're Proverbs 4 people and we're guarding our heart and life is really all okay. Because our heart is damaged, we cannot engage each other. And if we're honest, our heart is also damaged because God has disappointed us. God has not met our deepest needs. God has not fulfilled us. God has not promised, done the things that we thought he promised us to do. And so I'm only talking about humans because that's just the easiest way to understand. But all those things that happen in our human life, those are the exact same things that happen in our walk with God. And all the things that we want to be fixed in our human relationships won't happen until our walk with God is fixed first. And I love Proverbs 4, and we should protect our heart, and we should be guarded, and we should recognize that this heart that we have is the most important thing that keeps the squishy, that keeps the most intimate parts of us available for connection. So we have to protect it. That is true. Because we're humans and we live in this context, it has also been destroyed. I love this passage in Ezekiel because Jesus does not leave us here. And this is why I love being a Christian. I don't love being a Christian because there's good potlucks and we're incredible business meetings and uh, there's good rules to follow and nice music to listen to, which are all, those are great things. But the reason why I love being a Christian is because of this verse. 
in verses like it. God says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and masking tape that you stole from children's ministry. And I will give you a heart of flesh. The core of the Christian story is recognizing that this is really who we are. This is the state in which most of us find ourselves. And as we're moving towards Christ, if we want a life of faith that's inspired, at some point, we have to hand this over to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't say, listen, I'm going to help you put this heart back together. This tomato's toast. It's going in the trash. There's no way to put this tomato back together. There's no amount of masking tape to put this tomato back together. And Jesus lets us off the hook. Your tomato, your heart will never be put back together. However, you can give that to me. Jesus says, I will take on all of your brokenness. I will take on all of your pain. I'll take on all of your sorrow and I'll exchange it for life and for righteousness. Jesus says, I will give you this new heart. I'll take a heart of uh, flesh and masking tape and give us a brand new heart. Now, I love the movies. I love going to the movies. I love watching the movies. And you watch romance movies, you think, oh, that's how romance could be. Or you watch a buddy film, like, that's how friendship could be. But part of the reason why we come to church and why we make this part of our rhythm is because we need the weekly reminder to rehearse the truth that God loves us, that God is for us, that God wants to grab our hearts of stone and transform them into a heart of flesh. And unlike a romance film where your partner may not love you back the same way or they're just as brokenhearted or a friendship who is done with you, here when we come and we say, God, we want a new heart, we want to be inspired in a new way, we actually say that to a God who loves us, who is for us, who has all the patience in the world to move toward that. And I know it doesn't seem like this from the outside, but I mean, this has been a 10-year journey for me to go from this to something resembling something closer to this. I wish it was a one-day thing. I wish it was like I asked for Jesus to change me and one day later he did. At least my experience has not how it's been, but it has been a 10-year day in, day out, connected to the vine that Jesus has gradually taken this heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh. And he longs to do that for each and every one of you. Let me pray for us and then we'll continue our time in worship. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, I thank you for the way that you, the ways that you love us. And I know that if we're honest, we know our hearts are, being, are banged up and are bruised. We're finding everything we can to protect it from any more damage. And I think if we're really honest, it might even be scary to say, but some of that damage is because of you and the ways we feel like you have let us down and abandoned us and not come through the ways that we think you need, we needed you to. It's impossible to figure out where to go from here and all the steps to take. And so we just want to do the one simple thing, which is offering the mustard seed of faith to say, God, as much as we can understand in this moment, to give you my heart. And it's broken and bruised condition. We ask that you would graciously and gently take it and restore it and heal it. For we long to have a faith that is inspired. We long to have relationships that are inspired. We long to be people who love you. And because we love you, love the things that you love. 
May you get all the honor and glory. Amen and amen. Let's stand together.